0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making theology central. Do you remember where you were on September the 11th, 2001? Do you remember where you were on September the 11th, 2001? By this time of the day, on September the 11th, 2001, I was beginning to realize that my life was never going to be the same. I had no idea exactly how much my life would change, but I definitely knew things were going to be very, very different. I was in the United States Air Force, and uh, wow, everything started early that morning for me. I think at 6 a.m., we were in a part of a military exercise, and by around 9, I think... I don't remember the exact time. It, it didn't take long after the first plane hit the towers. When we first got the message, we really thought it was a part of the exercise, and I was like, "Why are we doing an exercise about about a plane hitting the World Trade Center? Like, what, what, what is what is this? What is going on?" And someone said, "No, it actually just happened." And so, me and a one of one of the commanders, we walked down the hallway to one of the rooms with a, a large television. And we were standing there watching it, and and this is before the second plane hit, and then he said, this is terrorism. And I was like, are you sure? I mean, could it be You know, some pilot made a horrible you know, mistake? Like, what do you know? And then I, it felt like five seconds later. It felt like five seconds later. I can't say that's an accurate memory, but it felt like it. All of a sudden, the second plane hits the second tower, and then... Then he's like, I told you, it's terrorism, it's terrorism. And so we start walking back, and then all of a sudden, just total pandemonium and chaos uh, happened over the next few minutes. And then hour after hour went by. Next thing you know, I'm outside of a building being placed there as a guard and I won't go through all the details and all the uh, all the uh, boring details t- for some of you because it's hard to believe. Like an entire generation has come up; that don't even really remember September the eleventh, two thousand one. I mean, they they know of it, like they heard about it in school, but it's like it has no emotional connection. And many others have. have I don't know if it holds an, an emotional connection. It obviously holds an emotional connection to me because. Well, that was the beginning of my life changing forever. So I don't know if you remember where you were. I don't know if you were at what that day signifies to you, but it is the anniversary. It is September the 11th, 2023. It is currently 5.51 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. So I don't want to say... Good afternoon, because I don't know if the anniversary of September the 11th, 2001 is good in any way, shape, or form. I don't want to say happy anything. I don't want to say good anything, because there's nothing good about it. There really isn't. I mean, the aftermath of that was just, I mean, war, death, destruction. So, I mean, we could talk— we could talk for hours about that, but it is September the 11th, and it would be it was it's almost impossible for me to turn on the microphone on September the 11th and not at least mention what happened on September the 11th, 2001. So, um, I hope whatever, however you were impacted by it, however it negatively impacted your life, I hope you have moved on and maybe some of those scars have healed to some level. Um, if you weren't directly impacted by it, I'm glad that you were not. And for the, all those who were directly impacted, either you lost a loved one, either at the Pentagon and the towers, uh, uh, whether in Iraq or Afghanistan, uh, I, I am so sorry for what you had to go through. And for everyone who was in the military at the time, how your lives changed. Um, I hope things have, we, we can only move forward, and, and but we cannot forget what lies behind us on that particular day. So uh, thank you for tuning in. We have uh, hopefully just a few things to do here and hopefully it will be beneficial. Before before we continue, I do want to say this. I received an email. Um, I received an email, see how long ago. I received an email, if I can find it. I received an email... Give me one second. Give me one second. I received an email at 3.51 p.m. Central Time today. 3.51 p.m. Central Time today on September the 11th, 2023. And the email reads as this. This comes from our pod page. So we have a pod page. You can find that pod page at theologycentral.net, theologycentral.net. They sent me an email and said, hey, Theology Central has... A num a, a new review, and I'm like, "Ooh, someone posted a review." Now I I always get excited, but I get very nervous because sometimes they're like, "Hey, they sent a review and they just ripped you into shreds." Or, do you want us to delete this because it's pretty bad? Sometimes I get emails from Apple going, "Uh, I don't know if we if you want to post this because it's really bad." So uh, I I never know what I'm going to find, but I went and I was pleasantly surprised. Someone had gone to the Apple um to Apple, and they had posted a review in the Apple podcasting app, uh, the Apple podcasting app. And then that gets pulled over to our uh, pod page. And this is how it reads. This was, uh, I guess they wrote this on September the 6th, 2023. September the 6th, 2023, it reads like this. Real and transparent, I try to be real and transparent, will cause you to be challenged in your theological beliefs, challenge to study and to think critically about what the Bible actually teaches. And it says, great podcast. And they gave us five stars, which we greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate. I say this all the time. You may not realize the significance of that. You may not. But anytime you can leave a five-star review on the uh, Apple podcasting app, that just, the more reviews, the more interaction there, the more five-star reviews, the greater chance the algorithm picks us up and, and and suggests it and puts it in places where people can actually find us. Without that, you're kind of just lost in the millions and millions of podcasts. It's almost impossible, unless people just kind of stumble upon you. But whenever you're, when people are interacting same on YouTube with people are giving it thumbs, giving things a thumbs up and posting comments that the algorithm picks it up and it gets suggested to more people. So thank you so much for doing that. If you use the Apple podcasting app, please consider giving us a five star review and writing just a little you know, sentence or a paragraph out like that, something small. Um, or you can go to TheologyCentral.net. You can po- uh, post in a review there as well. We do appreciate that. Um, that is very helpful to us. And uh, we are grateful with that. Now, with all of that said, it is September the 11th. Hopefully you remember where you were. And hopefully things have gotten better in your life. And hopefully, you know, we could talk about how everything has happened since then. The good, the bad, and the ugly. But so we cannot forget that, but we're going to move forward. Also, I'm very grateful for someone who took the time to write a review. But as you are very aware, if you've been listening to this podcast, we are currently in a series on dispensationalism. We are in a very important series on dispensationalism, and we have been taking a journey through the 1917 edition of the Schofield Study Bible. We started back going all the way to the uh, the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. We looked at the history of English Bibles. We looked at the Geneva Bible, and then we jumped to 1909 for the first edition of the Scofield Bible. Then we went to the 1917 edition, and then we are utilizing the notes in the 1917 edition. Really, before we even really get to dispensationalism, we started talking about theological systems, how theological systems becomes people's hermeneutic. We talked about the good, the bad, the ugly of all of that, and then we started looking at the introductory material of the Schofield uh, Study Bible, we looked at the introduction. We looked at the preface to the present edition. We looked at we looked at the panoramic view of the Bible, and then we uh, looked at how to use the subject references. And then we uh, looked briefly at Genesis chapter one and some very important things related to the gap theory. While we were covering all of that introductory material. While we were doing all of that work, I started pulling from all of this material these very specific hermeneutical principles that I felt Schofield was sharing with everyone. Whether people cut it or not, he was laying out these principles that would impact how people interpret scripture, would impact the hermeneutics or the hermeneutical approach people would take to scripture. And this happens over and over and over again. People don't realize it. They think they're studying the Bible, but they are literally, they're studying a theological system that is being imposed on a Bible. They're studying a theological system that is being read into scripture. And what Christians don't realize, you're almost always taught a system before you're actually taught the Bible. You think you're actually studying the Bible, but you're just being taught someone's theological system that they're imposing on the Bible. You're literally reading it into the text. So I wanted to use all of the introductory material to say, look, what, he, he he doesn't say Schofield does not say in his notes, hey, here are these hermeneutical principles, apply these to interpreting the scripture, but he states things that then people begin to interpret the scripture based off that way of thinking. It's very subtle, and we talked about this. So I outlined, I believe, let me see here, I don't want to give you a false number. I gave you eight principles, eight principles principles taken from the introductory material of the Schofield Reference Bible, eight hermeneutical principles. And I wanted everyone to note these principles. I didn't make a judgment whether a right or wrong per se. And some of them I gave my opinion, but mainly I wanted you to say, hey, these are these principles. Now, when you study the Bible, you can't read these principles into the Bible. You just got to, you got to try to read the text and see through the study of the text, do these principles, What? Are the, how do these principles help, hurt, hinder, good, bad, ugly? And so I wanted everyone to know these principles. In fact, I repeated them. I don't even know how many times we reviewed them on Sunday. We started in Sunday school and then the second hour I reviewed them over and over and over. I'm basically, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to end this sermon until everyone can just state them from memory. So I stated them a, a number of times. I wanted to try to get everyone in the congregation to write them down. I don't know if I was successful, but I was really, really, really trying. And so I was hoping. Okay, I wonder. I wonder if that was beneficial. I wonder if that was helpful. I don't know. Well, I do know this. I got home, and I think it was soon after. I think it was almost from the moment I walked through the door, which is around one. I came. I got home around one p.m. or 1 15 p.m. It was almost immediately someone contacted me, and guess what they had done? They had made a PDF file it's called. And they referred to it as Schofield Hermeneutical Principles for theology central theologians and I was like that's awesome it looks great it looks wonderful so here's what we're going to do on underneath this episode on the on the church one app or the Sermons 2.0 app, I will attach this PDF file so that you can have it for yourself and and you can reference it. And what we will do is if as we continue to work through the Schofield 1917 edition, when I feel like there are these other hermeneutical principles, we will add to it. And then if we need to, I'll just, you know, I'll just, you know, um, remove the old one and add the new one. But at least for now, you can have it and you can, you can, you know, print it out. You can do whatever you want with it. You can check it with your notes. But these are Schofield's hermeneutical principles. There are eight of them. I'm going to review them in, you know, briefly, but then I I want you to be able to get the PDF file for yourself. Again, if you have the Church One app, you'll just look for this broadcast, right? You'll just look for it. It's what I'm referring to this as. What, what did I call this? Let me look here. I refer to this as uh, Schofield Interpretation Principles, All right, I probably should call it Schofield Interpretive Principles, so I, I may have to work on the title there, but you'll get the idea. A Schofield Interpre- Interpretation Principles uh, PDF, and then and at the end it says PDF, all right? And so it'll be right there. You should be able to find it. You can open it. Again, if you're using the Sermons 2.0 app, you'll just do a search for Theology Central. Look for the episode Schofield Interpretation Principles PDF, or you can, uh, the Church One app, it'll be right there. If you're using any of the other apps, please, I can't attach a PDF file, so you'll have to go to the Church One app or the Sermons 2.0 app, or you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, and I will try to attach a copy for you right? But let's review these very important principles. Are you ready? These come from the Schofield Reference Bible, 1917. I pulled them out. They are not stated in the Bible as, here's the hermeneutical principle you should follow. But they I guarantee you, they serve as the way many people read the Bible and interpret the Bible. Here, we go. Here was number one. And this was a very important one, especially consider, considering the study Bible is 1917, all right? So the first one was this. First principle. And I'm going to read it the way they they wrote them down. If you go back and listen to the the messages I did on Sunday, I, I, I kind of expanded them, stated them in different ways. I'm not going to go through all the different ways I state them. I'm just going to go with the way the person who made the PDF file, the way they wrote them. If you go back and listen, you can take the PDF file and you can add notes to it or whatever you would like to do. So that you can, you can make it your own and do whatever you would like with it. All right. But here we go. Here's the first principle. The Old Testament is nation centric. It's nation centric. The Old Testament. When you go from Genesis 11, you go from Genesis 11 all the way to Acts chapter two, it is nation centric and it focuses on the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, Genesis chapter 11 to Acts chapter 2. It is nation centric. It is about the nation of Israel, meaning now this would, this sets then Schofield's approach apart from many maybe within the reform world and other theological streams that would be like, no, it's about a a remnant of God's people. It's about God's people. It's about spiritual Israel. The church is there. Don't focus on the nation. Focus on the spiritual body of Christ. Schofield is like, no, focus on the nation. It's nation centric. From Genesis 11 to Acts 2, it's about the nation of Israel. That's first principle. Principle number two. The second principle in the old in the Old Testament, that is nation centric, there are prophets and there are. Oh, let me read it the way it's written. Say, I'm getting ready to start preaching it. I'm getting ready to start preaching it. All right, stop. I got to slap myself here. Stop, stop. Okay, read it as it is written. say I want to just start preaching this again. All right. The second principle in the Old Testament, prophets and prophecies point to and speak of a glorious future for Israel under the reign of Christ. Principle number one, the Old Testament is nation-centric. Genesis 11 to Acts 2 is nation-centric, focusing on the nation of Israel. Second principle, in the Old Testament, prophets and prophecies point to and speak of the glorious future for Israel under the reign of Christ. Once again, Israel. In other words, there is a future for the nation of Israel, for the nation of Israel, meaning those promises that are given to Israel to be understood for the nation and to be understood as being fulfilled in a literal way. This is a major hermeneutical principle that is found in the Schofield Reference Bible. The principle number three, the church did not exist until Acts, where it was a new thing. Now, many will immediately push back, and they re- they reject that principle. They reject that. How you understand that? See now, just please know whether you reject it or whether you accept it, meaning you you have a a, a hermeneutical presupposition, and you're going to read it into the text. If you say the church is there, magically you're going to find it. And if you say the church isn't there, it'll high high probability that magically you're not going to find it. It's amazing how that works, right? Hey, the Bible, you you can either, it's amazing that you can see something in the Bible that someone else can't see. For example, some will read the Bible and go, I don't see any babies being baptized. And others will be like, because you don't know how to read. It's right there. Babies are to be baptized. And someone else will be like, it's not there. It's there. The exact same book, the exact same pages. The exact same words can be the exact same translation. And you'll be like, no, completely different perspectives, meaning that we have to consider the possibility that nobody's actually seeing the text. We're taking our theological systems and reading it into the text, because once you get the system, it's hard not to see it in the text. It's hard not to see it in the text. I'll just give you an example of how radically different approaches people can have from the same Bible. See if I can find another email that was sent to me. When was this sent to me? Oh, When was this one? Let me look for this one. Where was this one? I got to find it. I got to find it. I get lots of emails. So be patient here. I get lots of emails. This this one was sent to me on September the 10th at 2.44 p.m. All right. Look at how this reads. All right. Here we go. I did a kind of a devotional message on Ezekiel 48, 35. I gave you a little bit of homework, some challenges to do in Ezekiel 48, 35. You should go back and listen to that. The name of that episode is called The Lord Is There. Here is what I received in my email in regards to that particular episode. Commentators and teachers almost always fail to notice or to note that according to Ezekiel 43, 6 to 11, the new temple detailed and the prophecy, to, uh, prophecy together with the ordinances relating to it were conditional. Now, according to this individual, Ezekiel 43, 6 to 11, that that temple, that there, it's a conditional promise and they had to meet the conditions to get that temple. Right. Now they go on to say, because those of the remnant of Israel who were carried captive to Babylon, 586 BC, generally were unashamed and unrepentant. They lost the opportunity to build the temple detailed in the prophecy of Ezekiel. So the reason it wasn't built, the reason it hasn't been built is they lost it. They, they didn't, they didn't get it because they didn't meet the criteria. Now, this goes on, contrary to the teaching of most contemporary Protestants, the temple of the prophecy of Ezekiel never shall be built. Now, this person says, hey, you see that big temple at the end of Ezekiel where you got chapter after chapter with measurements and all of these details. This person says, hey, it was conditional. They didn't meet the condition. Therefore, they don't get it. And it's never going to be built. It's never going to be built. Now, others will read that going, you're I guarantee you, others would read that and go, you're out of your mind. It has to be built. Others will say, it's never going to be built, but it's going to be fulfilled spiritually. Just think all of those people reading the exact same Bible, the exact same words, in many cases, the exact same translation, <laughs> and coming to literally complete opposites. You would have to ask ourselves... How much of that is derived from the text? How much of that, how how many times are our conclusions actually pulled from the text? Or are we reading our conclusions into the text? Everyone will say, I don't do eisegesis. I only do exegesis. I pull from the text. I don't read into the text. But obviously, someone has to be reading into the text because you would not have everyone coming to these different conclusions. This person goes on to say, the next event on the prophetic calendar is the manifestation of the Son of God. Romans 8, w- which revealing uh, is accomplished by means of the resurrection out from the dead. There is no future great tribulation. The pro- prophesied time of great tribulation climaxed in uh, AD 70. So, the, hey, there's no great tribulation. It happened in uh, 70 AD, or that's when it climaxed. There's no future millennial reign. The reign of the anointed began shortly after Jesus Christ ascended into heaven 2,000 years ago. Jesus has been reigning for two millennia, and his reign shall not end. So we're in the millennial kingdom now. There's no future millennial kingdom. It started 2,000 years ago. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the millennial kingdom. This, This is it. This is it. This is it. All right. Next. With respect to the reference in chapter 43 verse 7 and 9 to the carcasses of their of their kings consider the vile English practice of entombing royalty and noble nobility nobility in English church buildings and someone sent that, that to me on September the 10th 2023 just what I want you to see from there is a completely different approach. You got some people say, there's a millennial kingdom. It's going to happen. It's a literal 1000-year reign. Nope, it's not a literal 1000-year reign. Others will say, we're in the millennial kingdom now. Others will say, it's all the millennial promises is fulfilled in the church and they're not fulfilled literally. They're fulfilled spiritually. Everyone reading the exact same Bible, the exact same words, the exact same translation. Coming to absolutely Radically, radically different conclusions. You have to ask yourself, why? Either one, you blame the text. You can blame the text and say, well, the text was never meant to be understood. The text cannot be understood. Or you have to argue, well, there has to be an authority to understand it and to interpret it. So therefore, we need a magisterial authority. We need a pope. Okay, well, since we reject that, well, we don't blame the text. We don't blame the lack of authority, so then you can only blame us. Well, what's the problem? Some people say, well, you just don't read your Bible. Well, that clearly is not the case because people read, 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 come to radically different conclusions. So then I guess you could ask the question, is it possible that we all learn systems? Now, a lot of people say, I don't, I'm not following a system, but it is always amazing when people start talking, they sound very much like... The system of amillennialism or the system of preterism or dispensationalism, premillennialism, whatever whatever system, lordship salvation, non-lordship salvation, Calvinism, um, semi-Pelagianism, Pelagianism, Pelagianism, uh, Trinitarianism, um, modalism, Sabellianism, you name it, system after system after system. We learn those systems and then that becomes the lens through which we read the Bible and then we read it into it. So I, I just I just think we have to realize it's amazing how this happens. So the third principle from Schofield was the church did not exist until Acts, where it was a new thing. Other would be like, absolutely not. So let me go through these principles again. First principle, number one, the Old Testament is nation-centric. Genesis 11 through Acts chapter 2 is nation-centric, focusing on the nation of Israel. Second principle, in the Old Testament, prophets and prophecies point to and uh, point to and speak of a glorious future for Israel under the reign of Christ. Third principle, the church did not exist until Acts where it was a new thing. And again, I wanted to demonstrate that many would say absolutely the opposite. And you would have to ask yourself, why do we keep coming to different conclusions? And then I gave you the email example. And I think there's a possibility that if not all of us, to some extent, many of us are very guilty of reading into the text. Not pulling from the text. All right. Number four, there is a threefold division of the human race Jew, Gentile, church. Jew, Gentile, church. Fifth principle, the New Testament is church centric. From Acts 2 to Revelation 4, it's all about the church. The sixth principle, The central theme of the Bible is Christ, and I talked about some possible problems with that principle, and we talked about it. The seventh principle, principle of first and last applies to interpretation. Meaning, now this is very important if you missed it, that Schofield really builds a lot on this principle of first and last mention. Whatever you're dealing with, look at the first verse where it's mentioned, look at the last verse that is mentioned, and you can draw many interpretive conclusions from that. that. That is a major principle that he puts forth here. In fact, his entire reference system in the Schofield Bible is based off the principle of first and last mention. All right. And then the eighth principle, the gap theory. And it immediately impacts interpretation because he uses the gap theory and goes immediately to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah is making a reference to the judgment that supposedly occurred between Genesis 1, 1 and Genesis 1, 2. And if you don't know the gap theory is Genesis 1, 1 is the original creation. Then between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, there's a gap of who knows how many could be millions of years. We don't know. But somewhere during that time, there was sin and a cataclysmic judgment. So that then everything was without form and void. And then starting in Genesis 1-2, God begins in a sense to create a new creation. And he does so in six literal 24-hour days known as the gap theory. It has profound impact on how Schofield interprets parts of Jeremiah, parts of Isaiah. I think, hang on, is it just Jeremiah and Isaiah? Let me look here. I'm looking at my Schofield reference Bible um yes, Jeremiah 4, Isaiah 24, and Isaiah 45. And yeah, I, th- I think I think so. I, he, he's got some references to Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 here, but I think it's the it's mainly Jeremiah and Isaiah that becomes the major issue here. Those are the eight principles that we pulled from. The, the writings of Schofield in his introductory notes to his 1917 study Bible, reference Bible. So we are going to place those eight. Someone made this for me. I'm very grateful. Thank you so very much for the help. I didn't even ask. It was just done, and that was awesome. Um, I, I'm i going to include this. Um, it's going to be, you can, again, go to the Church One if you If you need the Church One app, um, go to the Google Play Store, the Apple App Store. Just do a search for uh, Church, O-N-E, all run together, Church One. Once you download the app, do a search for Theology Central. Look for this episode on Schofield's inter- Interpretation uh, Principles PDF, and the PDF will be attached. Or you can go to Sermon, or the Sermons 2.0 app. Again, uh, Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. Once you find it, do a search for Theology Central. Look for this episode and it will be attached. Anybody else? If you don't for some reason want to download those apps, just email me, newsif at yahoo.com. And I will try to respond with the, an attachment of this PDF. And hopefully it will be beneficial and helpful to you. There you go. There's much more I could say. But the goal here was just to really, I was just going to turn on the microphone and go, hey guys, here's this PDF someone made, go get it. And then of course, 31 minutes later, I'm going through the principles. I want to start adding to them. I start want to start preaching them. And we talked about, you know, so many other things, but really what I want you to take away from this, and I've tried to just... I've I've been trying to drill this principle into everyone's mind is you have to ask yourself how much, look, when you became a Christian, whether you like it or not, you were not first taught the Bible. You were first taught a system, no matter what you want to believe. No, no, no. I taught, I was taught the Bible. Someone who was teaching you the Bible was teaching the Bible through a theological system. You were taught a system. That system then began to serve as a lens. It's a hermeneutical pair of glasses. And then you begin to see in the text what you had been taught. And we've got to be able to take off those hermeneutical glasses. I'm just going to look at the text. I got no problem putting on the glasses and looking at every system and see how they approach the text. We can do that. We can learn from these systems, but we've got to get back to the text without all of these presuppositions because these, these systems become basically hate, like your gang colors. They become your team. You've got to represent your team and you got to stay true to the team because if you deviate from the team, you're going to be cast out. You've got to stay true to the team. And if you don't follow the, the team, people will leave your church. They will not listen to you. They will not support you because they only want people who speak on behalf of their system. But they will tell you, no, you're not being true to the Bible. No, I'm not being true to your system. And they will say, my system comes from the Bible. Everyone claims their system comes from the Bible. Someone's got to be wrong. We have to be willing to see the influence of the system on our hermeneutic. And I believe our theological system should not impact our interpretation. Our interpretation should be impacting our theological system. So that's why we're trying to learn all this introductory material to the system. So when we get to the system, we're ready to go. And we can then hopefully look at it from a clear and hopefully, correct perspective. All right. I hope that was helpful. This is not the. Yeah, this is one of those broadcasts that no matter what I did, I wasn't going to be happy with. But there you go. I just, I really want to just get the PDF into the hands of people. To the person who made it, thank you. Uh, to the people who post, to the person who posted the review, thank you. To the person who sent the other email offering up your system, thank you. And uh, to everyone currently listening, thank you. All right. I greatly. Appreciate it, and um, yeah, I'm way behind in doing all the things I need to do. But at least we got this done, okay. And according to um, according to uh, my iPad, um, at least for those listening on the Church One app and Sermons 2.0 app, the connection was uh, briefly disconnected. So if you listen to me up uh, just solely on that app. If you could email me, newsif at yahoo.com and say, hey, you cut out at this moment, but you came right back in because I like to try to monitor, you know, what's happening there. All right. Okay. There we have it. Thanks for listening. Again, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Take a few moments today to reflect on – This September the 11th, what happened on September the 11th, 2001, and all the horrible things that happened in the aftermath. And uh, yeah, because many people have died in the aftermath of that. And, uh, you know, we we don't want to ever forget that. And, uh, yeah, and just, and then think a little bit long and hard about how our theological systems and all the good and the bad that has arisen from them. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a good evening. God bless.